0: It's the Americhicks with Kim Monson.
1: Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal.
0: The most important story.
1: The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump.
0: The latest in politics and world affairs.
1: Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care.
0: And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead.
1: Because ideas matter.
0: It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues. as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation.
1: Indeed, let's have a conversation. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks, and we have an amazing show planned for you today. We do dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, we need to be having conversations. I am thrilled to have in studio with me a guest Ameridude, and that is Dr. Thomas Cranwitter. How you
2: doing this <laughs> Hey, morning? I'm doing great, Kim. I love being an, an Ameridude. <laughs> you we are... have a lot in common. We both have May birthdays. We both have May birthdays. Just last month, I turned 50, you turned 38. Life's good. <laughs> you are so good. <laughs> That's for sure.
1: May birthdays, uh, and uh, we have been working together on Vino and Veritas. Yes, we have. This is, uh, this is truly amazing. I'm a little behind on my homework, but I've been, I uh, was traveling and I, I've been reading it. And um, it's actually getting easier for me. I'm starting to understand some, the words, I mean, it's starting to make sense.
2: There, you know, w- w- when you start to study any, any classic book, any classic author, thinker, what you will find is they have a, a kind of system. Um, they have certain, a certain terminology, a certain vocabulary. It takes a little bit to, mm-hmm. to figure that out. And once you do, it starts to come together, it starts to become clear, and part of one of the things I love about this this uh, reading book club that we 've put together, vino and Veritas uh, a lot of people they 're so our politics is so partisan, so polarized. And we tend to dismiss, right, anything that smacks of the other side. So in general, I think a lot of conservatives want to be cheerleaders for the founders, say, I I love everything about the founders. A lot of liberals want to dismiss them. The founders were racist and homophobic and all this. Mm -hmm. And yet when you really get into the ideas and the arguments, what you find is it's much more complex. It's much more complicated. Even in this one little book, The Federalist Papers, um, people who think of themselves as constitutionalists and conservatives... They're finding that there are certain ideas and arguments they like in The Federalist, and there are other things. You know, That's there's true. some statements by Hamilton, by John no. Jay, and that they're not quite sure they fully agree with that. And and what it's revealing, this exercise of Vino and Veritas, is that thinking through these serious political and moral questions, it's hard work. It's hard intellectual work. And And, and the founders, they were just human beings they were pretty talented, Mm -hmm. but they were simply human beings and and their thinking is not going to be perfect. And so it's a great exercise to think along with them and and sometimes in a critical way, you know, questioning, is that the best argument that they can make Mm -hmm. in a given situation?
1: Well, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, and I want to talk a lot more about this in the segments three and four, as well as this this other – I mean, you you truly are an entrepreneur. You have a great business, speakeasy ideas, so we're going to keep people – I think people know about that, but we're <laughs> going to keep them hanging on that. Before we do that, though, I want to say thank you to the great team. To Zach, to Producer Steve. Producer Steve, you keep things going. I so greatly appreciate you. And Patty and, and Keith, thank you so much. I greatly, you, I, re- I really appreciate you guys.
0: But you know, we're still holding your feet to the fire on getting us all together in one room. <laughs> <I know. laughs> one of these days.
1: I know. You guys all want to, we're going to do that very, very soon. And thank you to my listeners. I really, uh, I appreciate you. I'm getting caught up on all these emails. Thank you for your comments, and um, certainly if you want to sign up for Vino and Veritage, you can go to americhicks.com forward slash Kim, or there's also a link on the, the website on that, and uh, we'll certainly um, you know let you know about that. So thank you. I greatly appreciate you, all of my listeners as well. Now, Tom, one of the things, I, I think since the last time you've been here, I've added a few things, and right. one of them is to start with some inspiration. Because I think as people are going out, you know, in their days, I think they need to have a little inspiration. So I went to James Madison in honor of the Federalist Papers. A good
2: place to start. Yeah. And he
1: said, if man is not fit to govern himself, how can he be fit to govern someone else?
2: Yeah. Isn't that a great question? Yeah, that's, sort of, that is... that's sort of the permanent political question. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a formulation. It's a different, slightly different variety. The, the classic political question posed by Aristotle. Who should rule? And what he meant by that question was any answer, any answer is going to be problematic, and and he marches through all the possible answers. Who should rule? Some people say it should be one or the best, uh, some kind of monarchy, some kind of aristocracy. And he shows all the problems that come with that answer. Mm -hmm. Some people say the many, the demos, Mm -hmm. democracy, the Mm -hmm. you know the the multitudes should rule. Well, there are problems with that. Problems with that too. And and the point is, every answer to that question is inherently problematic. Which is why we should always be focused on those who have the power to rule others, because it invites all kinds of danger, all kinds of corruption.
1: Well, as uh, as you probably remember, I served on city council of my town, a local government, and uh, we have this uh, this din out there of local, local, local. Uh, but a couple of there's a, a problem with that. <clears throat> First of all, what we've seen is that um, people that value freedom, that value the individual. Have not become involved in local government. We have acqui- acquiesced local government <clears throat> to um, to people that are, are socialists generally. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned it yesterday. There's this group called Emerge, and it is a training ground for women to get into office. And in this last city council election here in Denver, there were two Emerge girls that uh, actually upseated um, or unseated some, uh, incumbents. And the problem with that is, and I was actually at a meeting, Tom, where one of the girls presented to a Republican club. And she basically, as I sat there, I'm like, she said a lot of nothing, but she said it really, really well. <laughs> and so I decided That's the formula
2: for success <laughs> in modern politics, right? <laughs> and so
1: I decided to check out her Facebook page. And sure enough, she was an Emerge alumni. And, uh, and basically these gals are socialists. Some of them are, are moving towards communists, yeah. but to that point, they don't say much when they're in front of the people that, that, um, that they don't really want them to know what they stand for, but they say it very, very well. Steve, you have a comment?
0: Isn't it amazing how different process, uh, you yeah, we know the levels of government, federal, state, local, how the bad habits leach downward, like spending, Mm-hmm. But what you just said, saying a lot, but not—I mean, not really saying much of anything, but yeah. saying it well, yeah. yeah. So,
2: well, and here's the thing about—you know—I I wanted to point out um, the the movement toward collectivism, toward socialism at the local level of government, is not simply uh, uh, by happenstance; it was by design, part of the progressive transformation that happened now more than a century ago. I'm going way back to the 1870s, 1880s, -hmm. 18... that's That's the origin of the modern progressive movement. And it really did... It aimed at transforming all levels of government and all facets of society. And there were progressive social scientists who really focused on local governance. They're the ones who created the city manager model Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. local government. Mm -hmm. The idea Mm -hmm. being we can't trust these popularly elected rubes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We need unelected experts who are who are experts at administering right Mm -hmm. so many if you look at the resumes of many city managers they have a master's of public administration degree that's Mm -hmm. what they went and studied you know in college and so that that whole model that whole design set aside who actually occupies that seat that whole model was based on this idea that we need unelected bureaucratic experts Uh, coming in at the local level of government, which is the way, is is the dominant model of local government in the United States today.
1: Well, but what I've also seen, though, is those that are moving generally to the socialist um, model in local government, they have figured out a way to work with that administrative state to get what they want. Uh, I've actually been doing some, you know what? We're gonna do our funnies. I haven't done that. and This is a great conversation. We're gonna do our funnies.
0: Wait, 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 just a minute, Tom already did them. Which one? When he made mention of your birthday in May was the 38th.
1: You are grounded. You Sad. know it. You are grounded. Okay. I thought I thought you're gonna really appreciate this, Tom Cranawitter, because um, this is from Freedom Freedom Works, and they apparently for excuse me a number of years have been tweeting out a crime a day. Okay. Okay. And so I looked this up. And so USC is the United States code, their Mm -hmm. code of laws. CFR is the code of federal regulations. And so first of all, July 17th, 2015 crime a day will have tweeted a federal crime every day for a year. By some estimates, it will only take under 800 years to tweet the rest. <laughs> <laughs> not, it's not actually funny, is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's really not. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. Okay, next. Uh, U.S. Uh, and this is, again, under the uni- United States Code and the Code of Federal Regulations. Number two, they make it a crime to sell turkey ham as ham turkey or with the words turkey and ham in different fonts.
2: There you go. Yeah, boy, we we wouldn't want that, would we? we wouldn't critically, want that. No. critically important. Yes.
1: And again, this is a part of the USC and CFR, and it makes it a crime to wash a fish at a faucet if it's not a fish washing faucet in a national forest. <laughs> Say
2: that a few times. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Kaching. Well, uh, and, and so look, there are a couple things about that 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 are important for us. Um, number one is the old observation that if you that if you criminalize everything. Or you, or you, you criminalize enough, everyone becomes a criminal, criminal, right? I mean, most of us can't go through our day without breaking laws and violations that we don't even know that we're breaking, and 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 the rub, the the real challenge that comes with that is that rarely is that enforced. It gives tremendous discretionary power, not only to the police but to the bureaucrats and to the regulators. They they look out at the landscape. They know that almost every business out there, for example, mm-hmm. is in violation of something. something. And then they can pick and choose. Which ones do we want to go after? Which ones are friends with our political friends? Which one are enemies of That's our, one. right? And, and, and so it gives them tremendous discretionary power. The other thing I've noticed and it, is once government criminalizes and prohibits and restricts virtually everything, then occasionally they'll say, well, maybe we'll relax those restrictions. Maybe we'll allow some of you subjects mm-hmm. to engage in this behavior. And what that really means is they want to tax the heck out of it. They want to tax it to death, right, so that they get more revenue. revenue. And and every time you hear government officials talking about liberalizing Meaning meaning not restricting or not controlling some activity. It doesn't matter what what the activity is, what they're really thinking in their head is what we'll do in exchange for letting you do that is we're going to tax that Mm -hmm. activity. I mean, look at the instance of marijuana here in in Colorado, right? What that's really about Mm -hmm. from politicians point of view, it has nothing to do with whether people are using marijuana or not. What it has to do is revenue. That's their concern. Revenue there. If we will allow people to you know, buy their marijuana, use their marijuana in exchange for big putting taxes. a great big tax on it. Mm-hmm. And, and across the United States, every time you see some movement at the local level to to open up a, a, some little avenue of freedom, it always means additional revenues for those in government. Every time.
1: You know, I hadn't thought about it that way. But, of course, you're you're right on that. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, today, big day in sports. The Rockies uh, took another one yesterday from the Chicago Cubs. Uh, there's a possible sweep with today's game starting at 1 this afternoon. A four-game series starts with San Diego tomorrow. The basketball finals, the Toronto Raptors lead the Golden State Warriors three games to two. And game five is tomorrow evening. And tonight, the Stanley Cup, it is for all the marbles. Uh, The Blues and the the Bruins tonight, Game 7, Stanley Cup, and we'll see what happens there. But Hooters Restaurants is the spot to be this summer. Enjoy Hooters Beachworthy Seafood Items. Like amazing fish tacos, delicious snow crab legs, and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. And they have plenty of ice cold beer options to cool you down this summer. Additionally, they have nine items for nine bucks. That's 11 to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. They have nine delicious menu items. And tonight, the girls come over, and I think that I'm probably going to have, I don't know, it's going to be a surprise, but I think maybe some of these very cool uh, crab legs and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. We're going to go to break. Uh, When we come back, we have uh, Dr. Thomas Cranwitter in studio as my, guest AmeriDude. We're going to be talking about some more headlines. I want to talk about civility. Um, that is something that is on my mind this morning. And so, Tom, we're going to go to break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about being civil with each other.
3: All AmeriChicks sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com.
4: Social media is important to the AmeriChicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com.
5: Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the Americhicks at Waters Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. Kim Munson with the Americhicks would like to thank qualified listeners, veterans listening to veterans, brought to you by Dan Brooke and Cheryl Tootin in Centennial. In Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Colorado Customs Services, promotional products, embroidery, engraving, and more. And sponsoring the new Fort Collins Vino and Veritas, Kim Munson looks forward to celebrating U.S. Constitution Week in Grand Lake. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, a fascinating exploration of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the
1: Marichicks, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. And Steve, true to uh, what we do every morning, we're trying to pack two hours into one hour. We have so much great information. (laughs) We're getting good at it. (laughs) We're working at it. But uh, before we talk about civility, Tom, on the line we have with us, Jen Kulin. And she is the owner of Waters Edge Winery. And the the three of us together, of course, with your right-hand woman, Bethany. Yeah. Uh, we, we put together this first Vino and Veritas, not believing what would happen. And Jen, you know, she's got such a great facility there. Yeah. And uh, she's on the line. I think she's got some some special things going on for Father's Day. Hey, Jen, how are you doing?
6: Hey, guys. Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you?
2: We're great. How are you? <laughs> Why, it's um, my one of my favorite business. I have two of my favorite business partners here this morning. <laughs> this is just great.
1: Oh, great <laughs> to hear you guys. So what do you have going on for Father's Day? Is it sold out? It's got to be getting close. It, it is. We have a lot
6: of tickets sold, but we are doing an all-you-can-eat uh, smoked meat buffet on Sunday. It's $30 a person that includes a glass of wine. We do have a special single plate for kids uh, for $15. So if you want to come in and treat your dad, uh, you know he loves wine. It's better for his health than any other alcohol. Uh, bring him through, and he can go through and eat those hearts light. Chef D is going to be smoking three different kinds of meats
1: out on Old Smoky Outback and uh, have a really lovely buffet for everyone. So, Okay, Jen, and if people want to uh, get more information, how can they do that?
6: Uh, you can look at our website at com, or you can give us a call, 720 381 three and you can reserve your uh, ticket um, just by calling us. Okay. I can take care of you right on the
1: phone. Well, you surely are a valued partner, and, and you know, we do a number of different events with you there. And uh, just just the ambiance, Chef D does such a great job on the food. The wine is great, and you truly are an entrepreneur. I admire you immensely, Jen Hewlin.
2: And we should add, there's well, a beautiful patio area right outside at Waters Edge Winery. And now that it's warm, it's the perfect place to sit and drink a glass of wine. Absolutely.
6: Absolutely. It's been full with people and their pets. We've got, we're dog-friendly out on the patio. People we'll love it. So, And thank you to both of you guys. You guys are great partners. We love supporting your businesses and uh, look forward to many more years together.
1: Well, sounds great. And that's Jen Hewlin, Waters Edge Winery, and that's com. right? com. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Jen, thanks so much. We will see you soon. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, Tom, there were some headlines that I wanted to go through, but... I want to talk a little bit about civility. Uh, Meghan Markle, I don't watch much TV, so and I, I only look at people and us if I'm in the salon or something. So that's you know that's kind of how I figure out what's going on with pop culture. Right. But we've gotten so far away from good manners. And I want to say it almost started with the, the feminist movement, where women would, if a, a man held the door open for a woman, she'd say, I can do it myself. And it's like, We started to move away from good manners, and and, uh, apparently Meghan Markle, you know, she's married to Prince Harry uh, over in Britain, and when President Trump was in Europe for the D-Day celebrations, she skipped the lunch or dinner or whatever with him because she just had a baby. She said she was on maternity leave. However, then shortly thereafter, she was able to go to something else. But uh, apparently during the election, she said very mean things about um, President Trump uh, as a candidate. And, and I, I was thinking about it the last few days. Piers Morgan came out, and, you know, he's no fan of President Trump, but he said that she really had a duty to show up. And I, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, she did. And even if she didn't like President Trump, you you would go because of the D-Day celebrations, the you know, all these young men that lost their lives. The, the graves are scattered throughout Western Europe. You would do it because of that. And I think so many of our young people, we no longer have taught good manners. And good manners has been something across the spectrum. Wilbur Wilberforce, you know, he was um, a, a Brit who, you know, it was his life's work to get rid of the British slave trade. And, uh, George Washington had a book on etiquette.
4: Right.
1: I, I'm concerned, and we need to start to get back to some good manners. I think
2: I, I agree, and let me let me say it's a much bigger, much more important subject than it appears at first. It, it seems at first to be something rather trivial, right? Like like one of the things we should be teaching our kids, among many other things. Um, but if some people aren't, you know, don't have good manners, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I, I would argue it's actually hugely important. Um, Etiquette is the art of treating each other well. It is the hallmark of civilized society. The alternative to etiquette is a police state. And so there's, there's actually tremendous political ramifications for this, this idea of etiquette and the lack thereof. If we cannot treat each other civilly, decently... Then we don't be surprised to find ourselves surrounded with regulations and rules, and 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 people with guns enforcing those regulations and rules. Uh, really, it, it's etiquette that sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom, right? It's 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 human beings choosing, using their reason, using their their their, their free will, and choosing to treat someone else the way they ought to treat them, rather than the way they feel that they want to treat them, right? That, that's really what etiquette is, doing the right thing rather than doing what you feel in the moment. Because sometimes we feel like doing really nasty, ugly right. things, right? And etiquette says, no, no, no. Do, even though you feel like doing something ugly and nasty, do, don't do that. Don't hit them. Don't spit on them. Don't call them a name. Um, conduct yourself with a you know, with, with the modicum of civility and decency, that's what etiquette is. and And, and I would argue it, that lesson of of civility and etiquette is at the core of the political science of the American founding. It, it, the, the whole idea of limited constitutional government works only with citizens who are willing to treat each other, decently, to Mm -hmm. not hurt each other, Mm -hmm. to refrain, right, from Mm -hmm. violating Mm -hmm. one another's rights and and property. Um, And and so it's really a a critical component, if we're serious about freedom in the United States, that we teach each other, we help remind each other how important it is uh, to act civilly, to, to act with a sense of decorum and etiquette.
1: Well, we're going to go to break here in just a minute, but I want to, as, I think it's relevant to talk about that regarding the Federalist Papers because um, they didn't always agree. Alexander Hamilton died in a duel, but yet they had, so I, so they didn't always agree, obviously. So sure. I, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I just wanted to also make a point, and that is when we talk about James Madison's quote, if man is not fit to govern himself, how can he be fit to govern someone else? And we talked about local government. I submit to you, as I was on um, city council, there was the implication that that was local government. But local government, I think, is the individual. You have to, that's, that's, that's where the real local government is. <clears throat> and that's why civility is so important with each other. But uh, we're going to go to break in just a minute. Before we do that, though, Jason McBride with Presidential Wealth Management is on the line. Jason, what is on
2: your mind?
3: Hey, good morning, Kim. Good morning, doctor.
2: Hello. Good morning. <laughs>
3: Well, Steve's mad at me, Kim. He's always said he could set his watch by the time I call. And for the first time yesterday, I I messed up and I missed it. So his whole world is upended.
0: My whole day was trash.
1: His whole day was... And I was worried because you are like clockwork. I'm like, <clears throat> gosh, I'm concerned that something's going on because you you are like clockwork. And Steve and I were kind of scratching our head going, I wonder what's going on. So it's good to have you here today.
3: Well, thanks. Maybe I just wanted a little attention.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll give you more attention then, Jason. So oh, what a- that's
3: all right. I get plenty. Yeah. So, Well, I was uh, thinking today, I know one of the toughest things that I've witnessed it in my business is you know, when a loved one uh, crosses the finish line, so to speak, uh, dealing with the assets and all that type of thing, if there's no will and the whole thing has to be done through probate, is very, very difficult and it's frustrating because there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of terminology that uh, most people don't understand, and it's a difficult thing to deal with on top of the fact that you've lost a loved one so Kim there's a few things you can do that are fairly simple to make this process much easier Uh, you know one is uh, people can do a trust uh, but those can be expensive and sometimes complicated and if you don't have a lot of assets a lot of folks don't wanna spend the money or the time to do that Uh, but What you can do is you can put what are called uh, transfer on death or TOD forms on your your bank accounts and your brokerage accounts, Uh, any accounts that aren't like a 401k or an IRA, you could still name a beneficiary or beneficiaries and it's amazing how smoothly uh those type of accounts transfer it's it's so simple compared to having to do it uh through a will or a probate okay and go ahead
1: no that that seems like that makes a lot of sense and what else can people do jason
3: well one other thing that people are not aware of is now what about your house well in the state of colorado you can name a beneficiary on your home as well it's called a beneficiary deed it's a fairly simple form that you just file uh... with the county clerk and then your your home will pass in the exact same fashion uh... the one thing to remember though is if you have this on your home you should revoke it uh... take it back off before you apply for medicaid because it can cause some friction or issues there but that that's a big asset that you want to pass easily and then finally your beloved vehicles guess what? You can do the same thing uh, with, with cars. So you can, you can name beneficiaries on your motor vehicles in Colorado as well. So all that's really left if you do it right is some trinkets and residual and maybe who's going to get your precious moment statues or <laughs> gun collection and those things are important. But you could take care of the bulk of it with, with official forms that make this transfer very, very easy.
1: Well, that seems to make a lot of sense. I wanted to go back, though. You said regarding the house that yes. you needed to revoke it when you you said Medicaid. Did you mean Medicaid or Medicare?
3: Medicaid specifically.
1: Medicaid. Okay. Okay. Yeah,
3: and the reason for that is real quick, Kim. Is of course uh, when you go on to Medicaid you can only have a certain amount of assets and at some point you know Medicaid may want you know the equity in the house under certain conditions and if someone else has been pledged you know, that ownership in the house after you have uh, uh, crossed the finish line, so to speak, <laughs> that can cause some friction. So it's not okay. a great big deal. You just need to make sure to revoke it before you go on Medicaid.
1: Okay, okay. Jason, you know, you put so much thought into all of these uh, different uh, things, except yesterday morning when we didn't hear from you. But other than oh, that, I'll you never know. hear the end of it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the care that you have for this, when people are thinking about their nest eggs, uh, I, I know that you and your colleagues over at Presidential Wealth Management are happy to sit down. I hadn't even thought about all these things that you mentioned today, and they make so much sense. So uh, I would highly recommend that people check out chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. That's our landing page together. There's all kinds of information there, your podcast. And uh, I know that you guys and gals over there at Presidential are, would love to sit down with people because you're in the business of, uh, in, you know, helping them with their own personal economic well-being. And uh, so uh, let's talk to you tomorrow and see what you come up with for tomorrow.
3: All right, Kim, have a great show. Okay,
1: thanks so much. And Dr. Thomas Cranawitter, uh, we're going to go to break, and we are going to talk about the Federalist Papers. However, I think that it, it 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 is very relatable to civility, and the founders didn't agree they certainly argued. Yep. I want to hear about that because uh, Alexander Hamilton ended uh, up dying
4: in a duel. Yep. So I'd <clears throat> love to have you explain that. A fascinating so, story. Okay, we'll be right back with Dr. Tom Cranwitter. Dan Predovich and his team at Predovich & Company help your business plan ahead financially. The AmeriChicks with Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich & Company as your financial business consultant. Predovich & Company will take care of your tax preparation, bookkeeping, and business advisory services. Dan Predovich and his team want to learn the unique needs of your business through real, honest dialogue. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich & Company can help clients anywhere in the United States. Call 303-791-3000 to start preparing now for next year's tax season. Organize your business finances with Predovich & Company. Call 303-791-3000 today.
5: You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Welcome back to the
1: Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's Have a conversation. Thrilled to have in studio with me is my guest, Amiradou, Dr. Thomas Cranwitter, my partner on Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. I am loving it.
2: I am, too. You know, I found out a long time ago that um, I have absolutely no skills at all. I can't do anything. The only thing I've ever been good at in my life is being a student. I was a great student, and I loved it. And then I I learned, quickly learned, that, you know, life is expensive. you got to pay bills and things. (laughs) You can't just be a student your whole life. And then I realized that the next best thing to being a student is to teach. When you teach something, you, you actually learn it far mm-hmm. better than mm-hmm. when you're studying it as a student. So uh, throughout my career, I pick books and ideas and topics that I'm interested in, and I teach it to others. It really, is kind of a self-interested thing because I want to understand it better myself.
1: Mm-hmm. So you are uh, – are you a former college
2: professor? I'm or? a former college professor. Most of – I'm a – I am an academic Turned businessman. So, see, that's so unique. (laughs) I spent most of my career so far uh, in the academic world. I have a PhD in political science. I taught out at Claremont McKenna College in California, uh, Hillsdale College in Michigan. I helped design their Constitution course, uh, which many people have taken Mm -hmm. online now. Uh, I taught at George Mason University, several other places. And then, you know, I've been preaching. Uh, entrepreneurship, the the, 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 the the active creation of wealth by promoting students, encouraging them to go out in the world and do something that other people value, <laughs> produce something, deliver some service, get off your rear ends, right, and do something productive that other people want and appreciate. That's how you create value. And I decided to take that advice for myself and stepped out into the world of entrepreneurship and Started my own business, uh, raised some capital, and uh, uh, w- w- things are just growing, and and it's wonderful at Speakeasy Ideas. Anybody who wants to learn more can stop by our website, speakeasyideas.com. And this whole this this program that we've created together, uh, Vino and Veritas, this came about when in, in business conversations mm-hmm. between you and Speakeasy Ideas. And we thought, what if we put on a, a program, a club? Let's start a club where people will buy a, a, a modestly priced, you know, membership, and we'll get together once a month. And we're going to laugh, we're going to make new friends, we're going to drink, you know, great wine at, at, at starting at Jen Hewlin's uh, Waters Edge Winery, and we're going to work our way through the Federalist Papers over the course of a year. And it's amazing how this, number one, attracted so much attention. We, we sold out within, I don't remember, two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Year-long memberships people bought. And uh, uh, demand was so big that not long after that, we launched a second chapter of Vino and Veritas down at Castle Rock uh, at our, with our friends at Colorado Cork and Keg. And we are about to launch a third chapter up in Fort Collins. This is going to begin... June 25th I mm-hmm. believe. I think so. And uh, it's going to be at Ginger and Baker which is just a, a a fantastic venue for this thing. And there again we have we've almost sold out memberships for that program. And we haven't even started yet. It's a, the appetite for learning is just wonderful. And and by the way, if people, if you're up in Fort Collins, listening folks uh, stop by our website, speakeasyideas.com. You'll see a little tab says take me to, have it take you to Vino and Veritas. You'll see a button there for Fort Collins. All the information is there as well as uh, you can, you can uh, buy a membership right there online.
1: Yeah. And speaking of that, we do have a couple of memberships available at, uh, it- gins uh, centennial uh, because I think there's some people that have moved up to Fort Collins, and then we still have a few for uh castle Rock as castle well Rock, that's right and so and so they can go to speakeasy ideas or you can go to my website as as well mm-hmm. at, at americhicks.com but let's uh the Federalist papers I mean first of all, did regular people were they really able to understand this back they, they then?
2: were in fact one of my favorite exercises with college students is to assign a few Federalist Papers and not talk about them much before. Send the students away and then they come back, right, for the next class. (laughs) And they're complaining, (laughs) right, this is so hard to read, it's so difficult. And then I remind them these were newspaper articles. These were not published in academic journals. They were not for scholarly experts, right, or academics. These were newspaper articles and ordinary people were reading them, talking about them uh, when it came time for the ratification debates in all the states. People were referring to the mm-hmm. Federalist Papers as well as the, the uh, many opponents of the Constitution were writing collectively as anti-Federalists. Yeah, or, ordinary people understood these things. It, it, it sort of shows <clears throat> the the worldliness that Americans had back then, mm-hmm. uh, as well as an understanding of history Right. The, the Federalist Papers could make references to um, ancient Greek cities, mm-hmm. to prominent Ro- ancient Roman statesmen and Americans in 1787. Th- they actually understood what those references meant.
1: <clears throat> when you see like uh, Jesse Waters or this man on the street with, this, you know, like a <laughs> man on the beach or whatever it is, That's
2: depressing stuff.
1: It's yeah. very, very depressing. And um, I would highly recommend one other th- other thing is that. You know, we are into all this technology and and I love books. I mean, I have a lot of books, but I would highly recommend that everyone make sure that they have a book, you know, an an actual copy of a dictionary. In fact, I think uh, an antique dictionary might be a good idea. But as I'm reading the Federalist Papers, yeah. I have to have my dictionary right here as well because of many of the words that they use. But let's circle this back around. In, in fact, let, let me add
2: something to that point. Um, in, many, in many instances, a modern dictionary will be somewhat misleading. For example, uh, the term the terms leader and leadership. If you look those up in a dictionary today, what you will find... The definition of leader and leadership is something very desirable, something very good. And in fact, we have, right, academic programs. You can go get a Ph.D. in leadership studies. We send businesses, send their corporate management off to leadership Mm -hmm. training. In the Federalist Papers, every single time that word is used, it's used in a derogatory way. It's used as a term of warning. Uh, The Federalist Papers is warning the American people against demagoguery And visionary leaders who will Mm -hmm. lead the people astray. Leaders are people who flatter. They'll bribe. Mm -hmm. They'll promise things that are impossible to deliver. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of the Federalist Papers is to say to the American people, don't buy that. You don't want leaders, truly free people. You lead your own life. You don't want leaders. You want some constitutional servants, public servants, who are going to exercise the few powers that we've delegated to them in the Constitution. Free people don't want leaders. And, and so that's just an example of how our language has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you don't recognize those differences, you might come away with a, you know, a very different kind of re- interpretation from reading the Federalist Papers.
1: Well, and to that point, Tom, how, how language has changed. I have been in conversations over the years. I remember my kids would come home from school and they would be, talk about something that they're – They were learning, and I'm kind of like, that's not quite right. And that's probably what began with me, this whole journey uh, to get to this point of a fierce protector of the American idea.
2: Yeah, it took you clear into your 30s to start, you know, focusing on politics, right?
1: Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can't give you the years here because then people are going to (laughs) start But one of the things was... And you could start to see this, this victim mentality. I remember this whole thing, bullying Mm -hmm. and, you know, kids, you know, say mean things. I mean, I can tell you what, eighth grade was one of the toughest years of my life. Eighth grade girls, man, they can be so mean um,
2: I think, and I think they still are. <laughs> I think they still are.
1: But actually, when I was in politics, I saw both men and women acting like eighth grade girls. Yeah. Um, but but our, our kids, they need to learn resiliency. But it seemed to me to start to be some, kind, some victimhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, first of all, we need to have good manners. We don't, and if you have good manners, you don't bully other people, Right. Typically. Nor nor
2: do you, you don't bully, nor do you beg, nor do you beg. Right. You, you, you right. You, you, you don't go push other people around. And you also don't assume that their property is yours. You don't assume that you're entitled to anything. And that's sort of the, the, the transformation of American culture. And, and I would argue that goes back at least at least to the 1930s and, and the whole the whole. The whole New Deal way of looking at the world the New Deal was the sort of the mm-hmm. program name for Franklin uh, Roosevelt's four administrations and his New Deal uh, said look <clears throat> it's not enough to be for us to be protected by law in our natural freedom right my, my freedom to speak my freedom to keep what I produce that's not enough he said Americans also have They're entitled to, he used that phrase, they're entitled to things like a house and um, a job and a vacation and health care. This started in the 1930s. Sounds like AOC. Yeah, (laughs) not much has really changed. And in fact, I would argue we're still in the New Deal today. And what that did is that that sparked this idea that has spread like wildfire in the United States that we are entitled to things that we didn't earn. And if I don't have a house, if I don't have health insurance, then by golly, you have an obligation to pay for my stuff, to provide those things for me. And 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 people who assume that they're entitled to other people's property cannot act with a sense of decorum, cannot act with a sense of, of, of etiquette, right? They can't treat other people decently because they're demanding their stuff. Right, right. <laughs> you, you, you can't steal from someone and treat them decently at the same time. And, and yet that's, that's sort of where we are today. We have, we have millions of Americans who think that other people's property belongs to them and that they can just take it as long as they have a majority of, of voters voting with them, that they can just take it. And people who are stealing from others don't tend to be very nice. And, and that goes both ways. The thief usually doesn't treat the, the the victim, you know, the person they're stealing from very well, and the person who's being ripped off tends not to be real polite in the, about that. Uh, about yeah. that, right? They they get angry. And in a way, that's our politics today. Oh, we have to go to break. This is going by way too
1: fast. But I want to I still want to talk about civility, but what you just mentioned there is I think there's become in government creative stealing. So let's go to break. When we come back, we'll, we'll get through both of those. And maybe we'll even talk about the Federalist Papers.
5: <laughs> so this is Kim Munson with Ta- Dr. Thomas Cranawitter. Stay tuned. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516.
6: Come join the ADA Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person, and children under 12 are free. Friday, June 7th through Thursday, June 13th, features will include Aladdin dark phoenix and john wick chapter three parabellum and remember our popular monday through thursday pizza special get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall cool 16-ounce sodas all for only 12 bucks plus now you can top it all off with our new sweet crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate for more information go to our facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net you get more out of life when you go
0: out to a movie You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Americhicks.com.
1: Welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. In studio with me, guest AmeriDude, Dr. Thomas uh, my partner in Vino and Veritas, and uh, the study of the Federalist Papers, Wine and Truth. I have thrown so many things out here, and we have like about 13 minutes, maybe <laughs> max, to, to talk about all this. First of all, civility. Uh, the founders didn't always agree clearly, clearly. But um, they, I mean, how did they handle it?
2: <laughs> well, they handled it in a num- number of ways. Um, they tended to uh, m- make serious disagreements public. So they, they, essays and pamphlets were wildly popular. At that time, I remember this is a world before the internet, before TV, before radio. Um, uh, newspapers and pamphlets and essays were a way of disagreeing with each other, with arguing. I mean, it's what the Federalist Papers was. Even before Hamilton launched this project of the Federalist Papers, critics of the proposed Constitution in 1787 were writing essays and public and pamphlets and circulating them widely, and Hamilton thought we gotta to respond to that, right? We 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 need to answer these these charges. It's how the Federalist papers came to be. Now in, in other cases, I mean, um there was a sense of of honor. There was a kind of honor code back then. It's it's hard to describe today because it seems so far fetched, yet it was very real. If a person's honor was questioned, if you were if you were if you had a reputation as being dis honorable uh, you probably had very few friends nobody was going to do business with you you couldn't be trusted and that was connected to this notion of dueling which is which is one of the ways that they actually handled their disagreements among the most famous which involves the the mastermind of the Federalist papers Alexander Hamilton. this is how he died and he did a tremendous thing during the election of 1800. Uh, Thomas Jefferson ends up winning. It's a squeaker. We don't have time to go into that story of how that unfolded. But his running mate was Aaron Burr. And Aaron Burr decided when there was a tie in the Electoral College, he decided to use that as an opportunity to try to become president himself, rather than Jefferson, who was on mm-hmm. the, the head of the ticket. This is before the 12th Amendment, when the, the person who got the second number of votes would become vice president. And Burr said, well, heck with that. I can just be president. And this is when Hamilton kicks into action. He, he, he uh, went and talked to his friends in Congress. Hamilton at that point was not in any office, but he was widely known, influential, and he told his friends in Congress, he said, look, I disagree with Thomas Jefferson on, on virtually everything. I think he's confused. I think he's wrong. I think he's bad. But he's honest. He he, he makes arguments that he believes in. He said the Aaron Burr is the slimiest, most deceitful, corrupt, crony person in the in the country. He cannot become president. And in fact, Burr does not. And Burr despises Hamilton for that and challenges him to a duel. So – Hamilton's in a pinch. He's been challenged to a duel. If he just declines and doesn't show up, that means he's not honorable. He's not defended his honor. So Hamilton shows up on the field. Uh, the, the 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 duel was with pistols. And you know, they marched apart whatever it was 10 15 paces. Hamilton drew his gun first and then pointed it in the air and fired. And the message he was sending was I'm not scared. To come out here and mm-hmm. confront a duel. I'm also not a murderer. I, I'm not going to shoot you, Aaron Burr. And Aaron Burr responded by pointing his gun right at Hamilton's chest and blew a hole through it. And so we, we, we lost one of the great, not only the, one of the great constitutional minds, we lost one of the greatest anti-slavery Advocates in in early American history, Alexander Hamilton. This just tremendous, you know, genius of a mind. Even when even when you disagree with Hamilton, you learn something by disagreeing mm-hmm. with with Hamilton. Right? He was he was that kind of, of human being. And so the sad truth is that's, that's how they handled their disagreements sometime. Mm-hmm.
1: We're going to run out of time here, Tom Cranawitter. so we're going to have to do this again <laughs> soon. But just tell a, a little bit more about Alexander Hamilton. Um, growing up, I mean, he, he, I mean, tough life, right?
2: Really tough life. Uh, the, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a musical that, about mm-hmm. him came out a few years ago and it's been wildly popular i think it's traveling around um i've not seen the the musical but i understand why it was created the the guy who who created the musical he read ron chernow's uh, masterful biography of hamilton simply titled hamilton and i would recommend to all your listeners uh, if they're going to read one book in the coming year pick up a copy of ron chernow's book hamilton it is it is absolutely fantastic and a among the many things you learn in there is the miserable story of of Hamilton's youth. I mean, this guy really does come from nothing. Ne- not only did he not know his father, uh, his mother didn't know who his father was, and and there were constant disputes about who who his actual father was. She she was known as the as the community. I I don't know what word we can use on radio mm-hmm. here, but. but <laughs> Uh, the, the, the favorite women of, woman of women of many men. And, uh, and he lost his mother when he was eight or nine years old. She contracted this terrible disease, which he did too. And she dies this, this terrible death right in front of him. Uh, he's an orphan. He goes from orphanage to orphanage. Hamilton is a guy who, who grows up with nothing. And this is in a tiny little Island um, in, in the Caribbean. And a, a huge hurricane comes through and wipes out the Island. And a series of poems starts to show up in the local newspaper, describing the destruction, describing the heart-wrenching angst and anger and depression that everyone's feeling. And they were anonymous. And everyone's saying, "Who, who, who's writing these incredible poems? They're, they're capturing what we're feeling." It was a 17-year-old Alexander Hamilton, and the people in the community said, "Wow, this 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 kid's unusual. This kid has talent." He needs to be in school, and they voluntarily pooled together some money and bought a ticket to send him to New York to go to college, and that's how Alexander Hamilton gets to the United States.
1: Okay, there's. It's great that the, I have not seen the musical either, but this story. First of all, how did he learn to read and write then, as a young
2: as a young boy? He's he's something of a prodigy in that sense. Uh, he worked for a spot of time at a newspaper so he so the editor was showing him right mm-hmm. how to read how to edit uh but he was this he's one of these rare human beings who could simply watch things and absorb it and pick it up and to a very large extent he taught himself how to read and write
1: and to that point today we have so many different government programs and so many different nonprofit programs which uh and we're just going to touch on this but that um, they, people come forward and say, we need to help the fill-in-the-blank. Homeless is a big one right now. Right. And on this uh, Initiative 300 that was on the Denver ballot just recently about, you know, you could camp anywhere, uh, had uh, some uh, some of the people in from the Denver Metro Realtors Association. And they said that in Denver that we spend uh, between eighteen and $19,000 per homeless person, that's just Denver, uh, the city of Denver. Right. Then there's all kinds of different uh, nonprofits that are involved in that. And instead of helping people, you know, if you decide that you want to, if government gets into it, what you're going to get more of it if you're going to subsidize it. Yeah. And so we're Always having true. more and more homeless. Yep. But it's all the people that are living off of that. These people that are, are uh, in these programs, these nonprofits, these uh, administrators, these bureaucrats, they're making six-figure salaries plus pensions, oh, and uh, so they don't really well, want to alleviate the problem.
2: Well, Kim, the, the bureaucrats need to live too. Come on, they, <laughs> they need a nice style of living. But look, culturally, we're 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 in this place today where um, many American, many ordinary Americans listening right now to this program, they think that we have to actively do things um, for other people for them to live a nice life including our own kids right we uh, everyone many parents run around wringing their hands over what what preschools are kid going to get into what kindergarten right all these things because uh, what training camps for sports are their kids get it all has to be the best and yet when you look in american history two of the greatest minds and i'm not saying these people are perfect i'm just saying they were tremendous minds and talented people alexander hamilton and abraham lincoln both grow up with nothing. They don't have expensive tutors. They don't. They're not going to expensive private, you know, training camps. They, 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 they grow up with nothing. And one of them writes, writes the federal's papers. The other one writes the Gettysburg Address. I
1: tell you, and that's and you know what? We're out of time. But that's where this whole vino and veritas came from. Was you were here? We we're talking about the Gettysburg Address, and what you said as I. You said people ask you how long did it take Lincoln. To write the Gettysburg Address. His whole life. And when you said a lifetime, it absolutely took my breath away. And so when we look you know, at, at young people, you have to take great hope when you look at Alexander Hamilton and the Federalist Papers and, and Abraham Lincoln. Dr. Tom Cranawitter, it's gone too fast. There's so many other things okay. I'd like to talk okay. with you about. But uh, we're, uh, we'll, we'll be back tomorrow morning. But today, James Madison... Uh, regard, and he's one of the, the writers of the Federalist Papers. He was John Jay and Alexander Hamilton said, Our Constitution represents the work of the finger of Almighty God. So today, read uh, great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. From
2: Wandering out into this great unknown. And I don't want no one to cry, but tell